The Love Good Podcast is brought to you by our patrons. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's episode 15, season one. This is going to be a really incredible show. In just a few moments, we're going to have Matt Frad in the studio, an old friend of mine. And we talk a lot about mercy. We talk a lot about what it really means to, to curate media, specifically realizing that, in fact, the media you consume is often the media that you become. And if we don't raise our standard for media, it'll eventually destroy us. I mean, we talk about this in terms of our diet and our exercise, but it's funny, we don't talk about this enough in terms of the media that we intake. So it's really a very cool conversation with Matt. By the way, he's got a brilliant Australian accent. You're going to love it. As always, beforehand, I sit down with Jenea Trudell, my co-host. We talk about the difference between addiction and stoicism. As always, a really interesting conversation with Jenea. And actually, at this very moment, on the release of this podcast, I am actually in Santiago, Spain. And I've just done about a half day of the famous Camino that leads to Santiago. And uh, tomorrow I'll be heading to England. And actually by this weekend, I'll be back in Spain uh, at Montserrat, just outside of Barcelona. And it's just going to be a really beautiful adventure for me over the next five weeks. If you're not already following me on social media, my handle is Jimmy P. Mitchell. P is in Patrick Mitchell with two L's. Pretty easy to find on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Would love for you guys to be following my adventures and even lifting up prayers for me as I go because it's going to be about five weeks over here in Europe. And uh, it's just really, really fun to know that there's people out there following along. So you guys are amazing. Hang tight for one of the best episodes yet. And we will see you back here in a few minutes. You're listening to The Things You Move by Michelle Mandico off of her debut EP, Half Captive, available exclusively on iTunes and lovegoodculture.com. Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell, sitting down with my trusted co-host, Janae Trudell. Hello, everyone. It's awesome to be back. It's just so nice to be finally getting towards the end of winter, mm -hmm. thinking about springtime, trees with leaves again, and flowers blooming. I really do love this time of the year. It evokes this anticipation and this excitement, even about the unknown for me. Mm -hmm. Does springtime do any of that for you? I love it. It's not quite the same like stark contrast to the winters being over in 
Canada, but still. Yeah, because the so winter, good. you've got a ways to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we do. Yeah. When does it finally stop snowing? I should say, when is the last bit of snow finally melt? Oh, man. It depends. It totally depends. Sometimes. It's usually around April. Yeah. Where am I going to be this summer? Where is Chris O'Hara? Remind me. <gasps> Halifax. So Halifax. I get to finally a whole other part of Canada I've never explored. It's beautiful up there. Yeah. Chris mm-hmm. is one of our longtime patrons. He's going to be involved with a massive Soonville conference up there. And I just love that the Lord keeps bringing me back to Canada. Today, we've got a really interesting conversation to unfold about how and why addicts might be closer to God than Stoics. I mean, to be honest, I would say I live in both worlds. Like there are certain parts of my personality, certain parts of my, my reality, even my, my past life that look a lot more like addiction than stoicism. Mm-hmm. But then there's other parts that like, man, I just get so stuck where my heart almost has shut down at times and I'm not even allowed myself to come close to addiction and that can be out of fear or that can be out of I don't know what like a like an unhealthy sort of self-denial that looks a little bit more like um repression mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so I'm I'm so curious where, where did you first come across this phrase what do you think it means that yeah. that addicts might be closer to God at, at times or maybe at all times than even stoics mm-hmm. I uh I heard it a few years ago Christopher West actually so he um, would come uh, to Saskatchewan every year and teach a week. And uh, it was super beautiful, uh, really significant time for me. Um, but that's one of the things he said that just stuck with me. And I definitely, definitely um, have identified more with the Stoic in, in my life, looking back especially, um, and how uh, often I mis- mistook... Uh, prudence and love even even virtue and and maturity as totally annihilating my desires (laughs) and uh burying them six feet under never to return Mm. and uh uh yeah I don't know where I learned that or it's just like a natural personality thing and um I think I I'm the oldest child and I think I I naturally just put a, a lot of pressure on myself to at least play it safe because um, a lot of people were watching and, and especially just like loving my, my little siblings and wanting them to at least if, you know, I'd, I'd rather them see someone who was like not that interesting than, than like super wild, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it was probably a combination of things that just brought me to a place probably in my late teen years that was uh, super, yeah, like you said, uh, repressed, suppressed even, um, and I mean, like, I'm not going to, that's, that's a blanket statement. I, I'm, I'm quite the same person as I was back then, <laughs> but there was parts of my heart that I w- did not see the light of day. And, wow. um, and yeah, I remember hearing, uh, Christopher talking about that. And actually it's funny that we talked about Bono a while ago because he, uh, he shows a clip of, uh, Bono just, uh, pouring his soul out like in all its gore and glory in front of uh thousands of people um and uh just being like wildly wildly searching like in front of everyone um and I think that's what he means by addict I mean obviously we think of of literal addiction which is very real um but I mean I I struggle with nothing um material like that 
yeah. Oh, I could, I could go on a, on a whole list and you can fill in the blanks, but, um, he, he talks about people who are letting themselves feel and almost, you know, like I always use this image and, uh, some people will laugh when I, when I say it, but jumping off of something that's moving really fast, like the, like the box of a truck. Have you ever done that before? That sounds really dangerous, Janae. It is. It is. No, definitely never done that, okay. actually. <laughs> like jump off a train. Yes. No, never done that either. <laughs> Something like that. Imagine, imagine going really, really fast, jumping off, and you're running so fast. It's like you're barely wiping out. Barely. I've fallen off the treadmill before. Oh. Does that that's count? Almost, that's almost, yeah, that can count. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, uh, but basically this feeling of chasing something, uh, jumping off and, and just barely biting the dust. Um, that's kind of like the image of, of the addict who's like on the right track and is at least feeling something, but is it's like kind of taking them for a ride a little bit. Mm. And it's they're always fighting to be in control of, of their desires, basically. Um, yeah. Whereas the Stoic um, is uh, uh, basically believes, I mean, it, it, in... Uh, it used to be like a like a, a literally a belief um, uh, that desire was um, evil or something. Yeah, 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 basically, and uh, not conducive with with life. They basically said, if you can't you know have your desires fulfilled, then and be actually as happy as they promise you to be, um, then you might as well just like kill the desire and kind of be mediocre, like be okay and mm. survive without being super hurt. So keeping your expectations super, super low, not letting yourself get your hopes up or hope at all. Um, and obviously this totally uh, does away with any um, love for art or anything that would like, draw the heart upwards. So um, these people were just uh, totally, totally shut down. And But we're playing it really safe and seemed relatively okay. I wouldn't say happy or joyful at least, maybe just happy, content. Um, but yeah, and uh, I think what Christopher means is, um, who is who is actually closer to the real thing? Is it the one who chases their desires wildly without much control, and they're almost wiping out, and they're making a ton of wrong turns, and they're falling on their face, um, but at least they're running full speed, um, or the one that doesn't let themselves desire in the first place? Mm. Um, and obviously the answer is, is the addict, the one that lets themselves burn for, for something worth catching and running after it. I mean, I feel like in my own case, I, I, I recognize my neediness. Mm -hmm. I recognize my, my dependency when I realize that in fact, I'm, I'm addicted at times that in fact, there are parts of my soul that are still completely disoriented that are still completely attached to all the wrong things and there is something really beautiful then about those encounters that I have with mercy when I'm really aware of my need for it that um frankly I I would agree that like, there's been chambers of my heart that have remained locked up whenever I fall into any kind of stoicism and I think that's a particular danger within the church, right? To have almost a prudence or a virtue that's gone wrong, where your desires are annihilated, uh, rather than being able to fervently and joyfully and courageously pursue self-mastery, mm -hmm. right? Where, where ultimately 
our soul has reign over our, our bodies, that our, like who we are in the depths of our being, our heart has, has mastery uh, even over our desires. And I think that is a really beautiful and powerful place to be. And it's one where you see people with a wild freedom, where things are integrated, where, again, they just know their need and they acknowledge that and they live in the freedom of those encounters with, with mercy and they don't give up. I, I would much rather be empty-handed, broken, and clinging to mercy at the end of my life than somehow self-satisfied, self-righteous, turned in on myself with just the most hollow of desires and a, and a dwindled heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, I'm a little biased here. I'm not painting the most... <laughs> beautiful picture of a stoic, right? But it just, (laughs) it hasn't worked for me and um, I don't want it to. And I think that's part of the process that as as life unfolds, as my life has unfolded, I've had to learn how to um, really bring forth like life and even healing in that stoicism so that I don't fall into that repressive or suppressed mindset, as you put it. Um, but that I, I live constantly aware of my need and uh, even uh, of my brokenness and then the great joy of, of mercy that closes in that gap over and over again. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, again, what a beautiful conversation. I have to say, Janae, one of the things I love most is we're able to tackle at times things that seem really like high-level theology almost, but our <laughs> our conversation is is on the most human of terms. And I think for me, that's really, really important because I have so many friends who have never studied theology, so many friends who, who aren't even Christian. I'm thinking back to especially my time at Vanderbilt, and, and yet none of them would want their desires to be annihilated. Mm-hmm. None of them would um, want their addiction to just become something that they accept without a willingness to really fight for freedom, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just really, uh, I love that we are able to kind of tackle these really intense and difficult and beautiful things with with language that hopefully is accessible to anybody in the rest of our lives, that we can invite them into these deep mysteries, even in the most kind of human of ways. So uh, as always, thank you. And we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Yeah, thank you so much. Early morning on the mobile Yeah, I'll be good to you if you let me Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. You're listening to If You Let Me from Mike Mangione's brand new full-length album, But I've Seen This Star, is available exclusively on iTunes and lovegoodculture.com. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell, sitting down with the one and only Matt Fred. How you doing, Matt? 
G'day, Jimmy. I'm doing really well. I've had my coffee and I'm feeling fine, man. That's great. And, you know, I know I'm sitting here in about as urban an environment as possible, Nashville, Tennessee. I've got train tracks on one side of my house. I've got a soaring highway on the other, 65, which connects, you know, I think Louisiana all the way to Chicago. You, on the other hand, are in the midst of the beautiful North Georgia mountains right now, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. We uh, had a house in just the suburbs of Atlanta, just north of Atlanta, which we officially sold last week. And we're renting uh, a cabin up here in close to Clayton, Georgia. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's been obviously a few years that we've known each other. But when I found out that you had become next door neighbors with my childhood youth minister, uh, my mind was blown. <laughs> and uh, it's obviously really cool because they've moved and now you've moved. And it sounds like you've, you've upgraded into a far more beautiful environment. All that being said, it doesn't sound to me at all like you have a southern accent. So we've got plenty of folks who are probably wondering, where in the world does this guy come from? (laughs) Well, as it turns out, my accent is much more Southern than (laughs) yours. I'm far more, far more South, actually, than the South. Uh, I come from Australia. Yeah, so the deep South, man. Yeah, I was born in Australia. I met a very beautiful woman from Texas, Cameron, my wife, and we got married in 2006. So I moved uh, to the States in 2005. That's really, really cool. Really, really cool. And uh, I think there's been a lot of beautiful moments that I've even been able to observe in, you know, our friendship, but maybe most in your stories and just kind of seeing where your life has come and where it is now arrived and where it's going moving forward. I mean, obviously you're a husband, you're a father, so family is a big part of your life. You you travel the world um, and especially America giving incredible talks and coming alongside young people, young adults, families to really kind of pull back the veil on the great evil of pornography, the plague of pornography. Uh, but there's so much more to Matt Frad than that. I think one of the first things we really connected with uh, or connected on is just our, our mutual love for for tradition and, and for history and what we might even call this kind of art of being human. So I'm just curious, Matt, what are the things that really inspire you in your work, the things that get you out of bed in the morning, apart from, you know, God and your family, uh, what inspires you to put pen to paper? What inspires you to to host multiple podcasts and to speak all over the world? What what fuels all of that for you? Gosh, I hope that it's my I hope that it's my desire to try to express what I, I can't fully express in words, and that is just what you said: the human condition and uh, living and uh, experiencing reality and experiencing myself, which I don't fully understand, not by a long shot, uh, and then interacting with other people who I don't fully understand and who don't fully understand themselves. So just doing this life thing with myself and with other people, and um, I have an undergrad and master's degree both in philosophy, so I love to think about those big things. And I've always been interested in those big things, ever since I was a child laying in bed wondering if space came to an end, you know, all those sorts of wonderful, beautiful questions. And I, I, I hope that as I grow older, my, my wonder, my, my love for reality and what I don't know uh, continues and that it doesn't just become a matter of making more money so I can be safe and secure. Because I think, just to be real for a second, that is what creeps in, at least for me, you know, life knocks us around a bit. And, uh, you know, I've got four kids and uh, 
my wife can get sick sometimes and you know we've got bills to pay and we can become afraid and just live in the defensive and for many of us that means making money and we don't make money so that we can have money we make money so that we can feel secure right and um i forget who said don't don't spend so much time making a living that you forget to you know make a life you know live a life um but anyway so it, it's my prayer you know that that my the thing that motivates me to do all of these things is to try to express you know this sounds relativistic i don't mean it to be my truth uh which i know my truth doesn't exist all i have is my opinion and there is the truth right but to express truth as i see it uh and hope that that connects with other people and you know that we can kind of connect to the truth together and i'm rambling a little bit i'm sorry but um I know you get it, right? Because I know you have a love and a hunger for the true and the good and the beautiful, which can't always be expressed very uh, neatly or in ways that aren't cliche. Yeah, I love it, Matt. I mean, a lot of our listeners are constantly trying to walk that line, you know, of of living in in that kind of state of wonder, you know, where you're always in, encountering truth and always encountering beauty and always ready uh, to to kind of be transformed, you know, uh, by that beauty and, and by that truth. And so I think what's really cool is, obviously, as you put it, life does knock us all around a little bit. And man, it is so easy to be on the defensive or to be constantly... And to be pessimistic yeah, and cynical. It's and easy. I feel like all of, our, all of the Netflix shows, that almost all the Netflix shows sort of mirror that in us. You know, I mean, that's capitalism, right? Capitalism gives us, you know, you have to give me what I want or you can starve. And so I think when you see what's... It's like forced altruism. But when you look at Netflix, the, you know, what's trending, it's trending because it's what we want. And what's trending is so dark, you know, even from those old shows like Breaking Bad uh, to the newer ones, there's this almost like in order to be a realist, you have to be a pessimist. Wow. Like it's it's all falling apart. You even think of like The Walking Dead. I mean, it's all it's all getting so dark, and uh, I, I don't want to live like that. And so it's fight, trying to fight against that with the spirit of optimism and hope somehow. Yeah, this is really good. So, h- how do you then fight against it? Right? H- how do you not become? Uh, really cliched in your response or really shallow. And because and, I think the easy approach too would be the other end of the spectrum, which is a, a little bit of a, a, a false, you know, kind of optimism or this kind of dancing our way through life and not confronting perhaps the evil that, that we see every day or the counterfeits that we encounter. How do you, how do you ride that line? How do you stand in the middle? Yeah, I don't know. It has something to do with God and my belief, <laughs> my belief in God and objective purpose and meaning and heaven. Uh, because if God doesn't exist, then it's about making the best that we can in this life. And, and that usually ends up in these sort of social structures that people get 100% behind, like communism or some form of capitalism, where we try to heal uh, all of the ills that we see. Um, but that can't work. I think that is a false optimism, right? Because the problem isn't ultimately with education or financial status and uh, whatever. I mean, these things can play into it and they can be problematic, but it seems to be the problem with the human heart. Mm. Uh, and so for me, it's trying to yearn for God and to, um, <clears throat> to read good literature, read people who knew how to wonder, like G.K. Chesterton, like Thomas Merton, um, and to try my best to allow my kids to show me something I've forgotten, which I'm not good at. 
I get very impatient with them. I yell at them. I get upset that the house is messy. But, you know, first 10 seconds every day where grace pierces in, I'm able to look at them and see what they're wondering at, and I'm allowing them to teach me what I've forgotten. Those moments are really beautiful, and I wish I knew how to do that more. I think another reason I think many of us are pessimistic is what's happening in our media today, where it seems like every uh, star, every politician has done something horrendous with somebody or some bodies, and you just think to yourself, is this all a farce? Like, deep down, are we really just horrible, wicked individuals? And all the nice things we say are just a way to sort of cloak the deep depravity that is us. Does that make sense? It does. And obviously, for anybody who celebrates Lent, we're at the beginning of a kind of 40-day period here in the desert, you know, where you just, by giving up some things and denying yourself, you come to know a little bit more your own brokenness and your own neediness and your own capacity for evil, you know? Uh that's it. There's a That's freedom it. there. Just real, just, just real quick, because it's so easy to point at uh, whoever, Trump or CNN. Or it, it's always easy to point away from us to the evil we see out there. But so few of us are willing to begin with the evil we see in our own heart and, and desire change in ourselves, eh? Yeah. And, and, to, and, to be, and to be so painfully aware that we are capable of tremendous evil. And, and, and it's not like these people who have committed evil are different types of beings than us, and we're actually incapable of doing horrendous things. That's not true. So how do you live knowing that you're also capable of, of that wickedness as well and striving after virtue and so forth? Anyway, I'm sorry. Hey, no, this is so good. It reminds me of Chesterton's uh, column, yes. which ended up becoming an essay and a book about what's wrong with the world, and he was able to point <laughs> at himself and say, I am what's wrong. Dear sir, I am. <laughs> Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. So good. And there's a freedom in that. There's, there's a freedom in recognizing our capacity for sin and really our nothingness um, without mercy. You know, I, I think the great joy of my life, especially over the last few months, has been this realization that I do not have it together, that I do not actually um, have the strength to, to fight this fight, this beautiful fight that is the human experience. I cannot do it without mercy and, uh, and without receiving it. I can't give it. And there's just, like you said, living in the defensive, that, that's often my MO, and it's miserable. It's just miserable. You know, that, that reminds me of Richard Rohr, who I think is a heretic in many respects as a Catholic, <laughs> Catholic priest, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have some beautiful things to say. And he, he, t- he touched on what you just said there. He said, you know, it seems like Christianity says, we have the good news, and here it is. We have the medicine that will save you. The only condition is you never need it. Mm. And that sort of goes to what you just said there, where it's like you have to live on mercy. And so being a Christian doesn't mean, well, we have this medical cure which we never need. No, rather it's like a continual calling upon that which we need. That's really good. The frustration, I think, as of late for me has been realizing that it it really is a journey. I, I don't know what kind of moment I had about a month ago. I don't remember if it was reading a book or just like a really beautiful moment on a hike, but I just remember having this profound realization that that mercy wasn't unfolding, that it was something that the rest of my life was going to have to be responding to and trusting in and moving forward with, that it wasn't just this kind of once and done 
encounter. So this is really so much of the, the peace and the freedom that I have even found in the last month is realizing, hey, uh, this, is a, this is a process. And uh, my becoming who I am meant to be, um, my becoming and, and responding really to the, the person that God has called me to be, it's not easy. It's ugly. In fact, it, it really uh, can look pretty... Um, I don't know, puzzling, mysterious, painful at times, confusing to others, perhaps scandalizing. And uh, I think it gives me a lot of hope when I see people just a little bit further along the journey, a little bit further along the path who say, okay, yeah, just keep going. Do not give up, you know? We're back with Jessamine Anderson. It's been a long week since we got to listen to our last segment with you. And uh, so much can happen in a week, huh? (laughs) I know we're around the office. It's crazy around here. We are packaging and we're shipping. We're getting ready for our March shipment to go out and we are so excited about all the things in it. I know we've got new music from Dawson Hollow and Rough and Tumble. I for one cannot stop listening to the Dawson Hollow album, especially the song Lonesome Wolf. If you haven't heard it, check it out. It's amazing. Nobody's heard it. It's hardly anywhere yet. I know. I mean, we have people who are hearing it for the first time. Uh, it's really, really exciting to get to rally behind these artists as they're putting out their debut projects. But what about the folks who perhaps have no idea what we're talking about, don't even know what <laughs> it means to be a patron? Is it too late? No, it's not too late. So I wanted to first tell you how our patrons are the ones building a better culture right now. So they kind of get to do three things. Every time they get a package, they are raising their standards for media. They're the coolest kids on the block because they're discovering all of this before anybody else. And they're investing in our movement, which, again, is supporting these young people and these artists that are, with their own lives, creating a better culture. And so you are totally invited to the party. If you want to go to lovegoodculture.com slash join, that is the page to go to. Sign up to be a patron. And if you do it this week, you will get your March shipment, which is amazing. It is really cool. And I'm assuming they're going to get all kinds of other craziness, like the welcome package and the March shipment somehow combined into one explosive (laughs) package of awesomeness. This is really the perfect time to do it. (laughs) It is. There's no better time. Uh, And really, Jessamine, I'm so grateful for the reminder because I know that I got lots of family and friends out there who actually don't even know what it means to be a love good patron yet and uh, this just makes it very easy when there's a lot to be had and a lot to be enjoyed right away so thanks as always have a great week jimmy you mentioned some really great authors uh really like intellectual and spiritual giants as far as i'm i'm concerned thomas merton uh, obviously gk chesterton i know you're a big aquinas fan you know what, what are the top three or four books you've ever read. Um, maybe there an entire collection like the Summa. You're about the only one in my life who would have accomplished probably something like that. Uh, I'm not brave enough. I'm in this crazy class right now, Master's in Theology from Holy Apostles. And uh, my entire class right now is summarizing, you know, questions one through 50 of the Summa. And it is painful, man. It is so oh. painful. But that's like <laughs> your mind works that way. And I would love to hear like what have been the other influences for you along the way? You know, that's a good question. It's I, I think it's fair to say that Aquinas is beautiful like a legal document is beautiful. <laughs> you know, when you read a legal document, there's a sense in which it's beautiful because it is uh, incredibly precise, right? And then there's... and So you could say that Aquinas is beautiful like a tool. In a way, you might say a particular tool or car or engine is beautiful. Augustine, 
St. Augustine is beautiful like a garden is beautiful. He's the poet. And it's not that Aquinas wasn't a poet, but when he's writing the Summa Theologiae and other things like that, his, his goal isn't to speak the language of the heart, if you want to phrase it like that. It's to be as precise as he, as he can so as not to cause any ambiguity. But yeah, I love, I love St. Augustine. I think the Confessions is amazing. Uh, Thomas Merton's seven-story uh, uh, mountain is what I'm reading right now for the first time. I've dabbled with it before, but now I'm actually slogging through it. And it is absolutely brilliant and so well written. I love Pascal. I love reading his Ponces. I love um, I love Dostoevsky. I've never been able to make it through the Brothers Karamazov, but I'm reading Crime and Punishment again, and he's able to articulate the human condition and the heart's, uh, you know, torn the heart which is torn between good and evil, and how it justifies these things and makes sense of these things. I think very well. Um, yeah, and then I uh, yeah, so I suppose those would be the big influences. You know, yeah, and I love, and I love, I love Plato. Uh, so I think, like sometimes people hear these lofty philosophical names, and they're not really sure if they could handle it. But actually, Plato's, you know, compared to Aristotle, he's quite fun to read and and somewhat easier to read. I mean, there's a lot of depth to him, but you you could pick up Plato and begin reading him and actually make sense of yeah, it. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm never um, not amazed, especially when I meet young people out there in in very sincere pursuit of truth who pick up some of the authors you've just mentioned, and they plow their way through. I, I didn't really have that courage probably till I was late into my college experience, studying abroad in Europe, encountering you know the, the clear contribution that these figures have made on, How on sad. history. I know, I know. I, I, I didn't either. I didn't either. It's because I didn't have the sort of education that, that, that believed that I could read it, I think, which is super sad. Instead, we were just given crap books that were banal and uninteresting, ultimately. Yeah. Which is really sad. This is why, like, I, my kids, like, we, we put an emphasis on them memorizing good poetry. This is why we read Tolkien to them and the brothers, uh, the uh, Brother Grimm's fairy tales and these sorts of things. Like, because I feel like if you get a taste for that when you're young, you realize I can actually do mm. this. But I think you and I maybe grew up who were like, we're actually incapable of understanding these people. These are for other people. Well, that's not mm. true. Yeah, that's a really good point. So let's assume that we've got some people out there who have never read any of the above. Uh, Where is a good launching point? I I know for me, C.S. Lewis was a huge launching point. As soon as I encountered him, it led me to Chesterton, it led me to Newman, and eventually led me to Thomas and so many others. And even being much more of a poet myself than uh, a lawyer, you know, like I'm I'm much more interested in things uh, being beautiful like a garden, as you put it, um, not so much beautiful like a, a legal document. You know, I, I found my way in through great fantasy, you know, Lewis in particular. Uh, where would you start? Where would you recommend? Well, I, what I would say is, you know, a lot of us today, this is going to sound like a that I'm digressing, but I'm not. A lot of us today have have been really good at choosing to eat healthy and to exercise like that seems to be this trend uh, among us and millennials right that we think you know maybe paleo is a good idea and maybe i should work out more and maybe i shouldn't be having soda or sugar right and for many of us when we began that it was extremely difficult we didn't think we could actually enjoy uh, a paleo meal. It doesn't have to be paleo, you know what I mean, but just like good food. We didn't think we were capable of that, especially if we were raised on soda and fried food and all that junk. I think likewise, uh, if we've been raised on Twitter, uh, you know, on stupid books um, and and just 
gorging ourselves on Netflix series, it seems just as difficult to begin to enjoy some of these authors that we're speaking about. But just like you can press through your, uh, you know, your lethargy and uh, uh, your, your, your desire to stop this because it's too hard when it comes to food and exercise, the same thing can be said when it comes to appreciating good literature and good music, I think. Uh, so I think you're right. I think Lewis would be a good place to start because he's quite easy and, and forthright. I think Tolkien, you know, Lord of the Rings. I think beginning there would be a good idea. Um, and then and then not being afraid to kind of go up. Uh, like uh, one of the greatest poems I think ever written was Dante, mm. uh, The Divine Comedy. And that's actually quite easy to read. Uh, the Inferno is the most fun. And it's written in little cantos. So it's it's digestible. But like not being afraid to do that. And, and, and look, realizing that you're, there's a part of you that wants to do this because you're a pretentious little bastard. <laughs> like, but not being afraid of that. Like, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just like your reason to do paleo is so you can look hot. But that shouldn't stop you from actually eating healthy because there are other reasons, even if they're not at the forefront of your mind, that are worth attaining. Likewise, just because you think, well, I want to be the sort of person who does this because I'm quite arrogant and want people to think me sophisticated, well, that's okay. Uh, these authors will beat it out of you and me, I think, eventually. But to re- not, not to allow that to frighten us off reading them Anyway, it's really good. It's almost like fear is the beginning of wisdom. In this case, you know, some kind of <laughs> yeah, selfish yeah. desire for sophistication is, in fact, the the beginning of uh, a, a far more clear minded and uh, yeah. you know wise intellect. I love it. So one of, one of the challenges I'm embracing this Lent and uh, something I would suggest for other people is to block internet on your phone. So my on iPhone, iPhone, if you go to settings and then restrictions, you can actually set a password and block certain things. Like you can block Safari, you can block the downloading of apps, the app store. So what I did this then is I gave my phone to my wife and I had her do that. And then I went into my phone and I deleted everything like Twitter and Instagram and Google Chrome. And even I blocked the uh, podcast store uh, or the podcast app. And this way, when I'm driving, I have to be alone with myself, wow. which I hate because I don't like myself. <laughs> like that, right? and, and neither do most people. And that's why we feel the need to escape ourselves, I think. Uh, but I think choosing to sit in that and, and to, you know, to develop the interior life in that way is a good way to begin developing your curiosity for the world and, and, and wonder. That's really good. I mean, you don't have to be even a Christian to recognize the incredible power of silence. You know, it's almost like the only difference between a man who thinks to himself and talks to himself kind of has this ongoing interior monologue. The only difference between right. that and prayer is really turning the monologue into a dialogue, like actually believing that there's something and specifically someone who's bigger than you out there, who's in fact infinite and knows you better than you know yourself and, and can reveal yourself to yourself. So this is pretty profound. It seems Amen. like this interior life, um, r- regardless of perhaps even our religious background, is something that the human heart and the human soul needs to even turn a corner and begin to live in that freedom, to live uh, in that uh, truth that doesn't look like a kind of false optimism, but a very hopeful realism, perhaps, huh? Yeah, I think you stated that really well. It's uh, the, the interior life simply means that internal conversation that goes on within us when we're alone, mm. uh, which eventually is directed towards the good, the true, the beautiful, which as Christians, they think that means God. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, if you don't have God, I think for many of us, our solution is then government, right? And then politics becomes the religion, however you want to construe your politics. It has to become everything. Yeah. Um, and that leads to some pretty pessimistic, depressing things, <laughs> given our state of affairs, you know? Yeah. Well, this is real quickly. I, I want to close with this thought then. Um, perhaps as you were talking about media, you know, you could sum that up by saying that you, you really— you become what you consume. You know, what does it look like for us to raise our standard for media before it destroys us? You know, that, that's everything from uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram uh, to Netflix, iTunes, and, and, you know, Spotify, Amazon Prime. Political podcasts, whatever it is that we consume like junk food, which may have yeah. merit to it. But when, I mean, it's like think about it this way: like your brain probably has to process events that t- take place in your day. That sounds like a pretty uncontroversial thing to say. But how is it to process these things if we continually plug ourselves in to other voices? Like we wake up, the first thing we do is maybe turn on a podcast, turn on music, turn on somebody's opinion. Our brain doesn't even have time to process what we're experiencing. We just become a thing that reacts instead of a human person. Totally, Do you think? totally. And and I think what's demanded of us is silence and and intentionality. You know, like, can you imagine if the whole world was just even a degree more intentional with the media that they intook? How how different a world it would be. Uh, Matt, this is awesome. Real quickly, let's close with how people can be intaking your media. What are the things that people need to know about as far as Matt Frad is concerned? Uh, well, they can follow me at Matt Frad on Twitter. Uh, I also have a website, mattfrad.com, and they can find all the things that I do through there. So mattfrad.com or at Matt Frad. Just finally, I want to I leave us with a quote, and then you can wrap up here. And that comes from Blaise Pascal, who we mentioned a moment ago. He says, all of man's ills can be boiled, see, this is a paraphrase, can be you know, boiled down to the fact that he does not know how to sit alone in a dark room silently. I think that's excellent. So if you want a litmus test for how awful and depressed you are, see how long you can sit in a dark room silently for. Because the fact that we are unable to do that is, he says, what brings about all these ills in the world. But uh, hey, thank you so much for having me on. Matt, it's been an absolute privilege. This is one of those conversations that uh, I know could have gone on for at least another half an hour. So we'll get you back sooner than later, all right? Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Matt. But if there ever was a song that everyone could sing together, I've got it right here. Because we don't have to sing words that mean anything that might make us disagree. It's inadmittedly ignorant, peace and harmony. But at least we all can sing along with Sha-la-la. You're listening to Sha La La by Kevin Hyder off of his debut full-length album, Salzburg Revolution, available exclusively on iTunes and kevinhyder.com. Everybody, this is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. Welcome back to the final segment here on the Love Good Podcast. What a joy to have had Matt Fratt in the studio. Matt is really brilliant on so many accounts. One of the things I enjoyed most about our conversation is how we talked about how afraid so many of us are to be alone. 
You know, we don't want to be in solitude because it's in those moments that we realize that we, we really hate ourselves, you know, and that, in fact, the media that we consume is just as important as the kind of food and the kind of exercise that we allow into our lives uh, that really shape us, you know, physically, uh, that the media really shape us emotionally and spiritually and mentally. And so what a, a really cool privilege that we have uh, through Love Good and learning how to curate the media in our lives and really being much more intentional about what we intake. As always, this is the part in the show where one of you is called in with a question about media culture and the art of being human. So check this out. What is up, guys? My name is John Michael Edelman. I'm coming at you from East Lansing, Michigan. Uh, thank you for all that you do. And my question today is, how do you cross over the threshold from be, being a consumer to becoming a producer? When we're talking about culture and transforming it with beauty, it's really important to put out things that are beautiful. But in, in my own life, I found that it's so much easier to just consume media, to consume videos, to listen to music, to play video games, and to not practice my guitar to not actually record my podcasts and and produce things and get things out there so jimmy whoever else is on i was just hoping you could talk a little bit about how you've crossed over from being just a consumer to being a producer thanks so much for your time john michael that is such an amazing question actually because so many of us casually and even passively consume media all day Every day, and I don't think enough people are even asking themselves that question right there. How can I cross over from being a consumer to becoming a producer? Now, to a certain extent, every time we send out a tweet or an Instagram or Facebook post, we've produced media. Uh, the question is, like, is it really all that meaningful? Is it really going to captivate or enrich people? Uh, is it going to, to somehow help them enter into this human experience more deeply? And I do find that actually the answer to that question is really quite important. Uh, so often I find myself much more capable of sitting down behind a microphone in a studio to do a podcast or sitting behind a piano to write a song than coming up with a tweet that's really worth putting out there. And I do think that all of us, to some extent, have got creative energy. You know, all of us have a, a creative spirit that is probably dormant. You know, all of us when we were kids, we had a sense of wonder. We had a sense of awe. And that's what creativity does. It cultivates that sense. It, it really deepens that sense. And so, you know, far into our adult lives, we are, we are called to cultivate that. And uh, John Michael, I think what you're talking about is uh, really just sitting down and making it happen. You know, if you want to learn how to play the guitar, well, there's no time like the present. If that's half an hour a day or two hours a week, we've got to set aside that time to, to fuel that creativity in each of us to make sure that we're not just passively consuming, but meaningfully producing and offering uh, great things to the world. And um, maybe you're not creative at all, but so much of our lives, even in the way that we live, the way that we interact with people, the way that we love people, uh, it it allows us to bring people into that state of awe and wonder. So be creative and set aside that time for it and do things that are difficult. You know, sometimes they, they say even brushing your teeth with your non-dominant hand opens up pathways of creativity, ways of thinking outside of the box that could lead you 
uh, into whole new horizons. So, John Michael, thanks again for that question. As always, if you want to call in with a question like that, all you have to do is send us an email at content at lovegoodculture.com with a voice memo recording or an audio recording. We'd love to hear from you guys. It's always a great joy uh, to get questions like that. And, uh, you know, check us out right now on lovegoodculture.com. You'll see that we're going to be traveling all over Europe. And in fact, for the next month, we will be uh, spending quite a bit of time abroad, especially across the United Kingdom. So we're really pumped to uh, meet many of you that we haven't seen in a while or have never actually met in person. And uh, know also that that free sampler we released a couple of weeks ago, it's my favorite yet. Go to lovegoodculture.com free. You're going to hear much of the music you heard on this particular episode and so many artists that you really owe it to yourself to be exposed to. Truly talented, bringing incredible beauty to the world. Uh, you guys are amazing. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll see you next time around. Thank you for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media. And be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. Massive thanks to all of our patrons who make this podcast possible. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com.